And I'll tell you what, my my jaw hit the table. We all kind of looked at each other and realized, oh shit, we might be onto something. This is version one, a podcast from Code Sandbox about the product development journey of some of the web's most talked about tools and resources from the makers behind them. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Abstract is where the design process finds structure and transparency. Companies including Cisco, Zendesk, and Microsoft depend on Abstract's design intelligence platform to help their teams gather requirements, review designs, and measure what works all in one space. For the season finale of version one, Abstract's co-founder and executive chairman Josh Brewer tells the story of how Abstract's version control and workflow tools for digital designers came to be. Let's roll. If you've been listening up to this episode, you've probably picked up on the theme for this season. All the founders here have built tools that help people collaborate. All ideas come from a moment of discovery, and Josh's is no exception. Our story begins with Brewer Design Group. The best part about that is that uh, Brewer Design Group ended up always only being me. (laughs) I had a handful of friends that had different skill sets, a couple of guys I knew that were good videographers. I knew a good marketer, just was really fortunate that I had a few creative folks around me and, and I was getting into and doing like web design at the time and mostly brochure sites and starting to help folks just get an online identity. And so I thought, oh, Brew Design Group, that sounds, A, that sounds bigger than just me. (laughs) And B, it was a hope that I would be creating space for uh, more than just me. But it turned out it was, it was just me and it was mostly side projects that I was doing during that time period. When I started my studio back in 2008, I did a similar thing, the whole corporate we thing, I mean. Josh ran Brewer Design for about four years, then started a gig as a UI designer with a local San Diego startup called Slacker Radio, which was a music discovery site similar to Pandora. Not a bad gig for Josh, who was starting to really get in deep with the local tech and creative community. I was really fortunate. I got connected to a number of folks in the Ruby community in San Diego and helped out with a couple of bar camps that we put on down there. And... um, started a web standards group. You know, it was just this like time of connection with so many other folks and uh, really getting into the whole startup world. And to me, getting to work with other really talented, hungry, uh, excited folks around problems that seemed really interesting um, was really cool. Uh, I'm a musician. And so the Slacker radio thing was definitely cool. Josh wasn't at Slacker long before becoming a creative director at suggestionbox.com and then moving on to SocialCast. Don't you love those kind of ambiguous Web 2.0 business names? SocialCast ended up kind of being one of the most pivotal and critical experiences for me. Tim Young, who was the CEO of SocialCast at the time, got connected with me through a mutual friend and needed basically some like super quick turnaround design work for you know a handful of things. And So I was kind of doing that on the side and it slowly led to conversations and he asked if I would just start doing some kind of UX audits. And next thing you know, he drove down and met me at a Mexican restaurant for lunch and slid an offer across the table uh, like a boss. And the rest is history. Uh, Working with Tim and the rest of the team at SocialCast was a transformative experience. And really for me, 
working so closely with the CEO, partnering. He was in Irvine and I would take the train up once a month and we'd basically lock ourselves in a room and I'd leave with about a month's worth of work to do, you know? So it was like this process of extracting as much as I could out of his brain and then getting to work and constantly iterating, pushing things back over to him and to the engineers that we're building. And it was really, honestly, in retrospect, it was really special. It was a really uh, talented team. We ended up raising a Series A and moving to San Francisco, and that totally altered my trajectory, personally and professionally. This was a real inflection point, not just for Josh, but for Silicon Valley as well. After the big financial crisis in 2008, Silicon Valley was starting to reemerge from the rubble. But some tech companies during that time really began to thrive, most notably Twitter, which is where Josh landed next. I had met Doug Bowman earlier that year. Doug Bowman was creative director at Twitter at the time and was responsible for a good part of their early growth. Kyle Sollenberger, who is a, a good friend of mine, he was one of the co-founders of a company called CoTweet. He, Doug and I would get together once a month and have breakfast. All of us had little kids and all of us were running or managing design teams. And it just was this really, again, it was like there's these special moments and relationships that get built and it was interesting because I had been involved in activity streams, um, especially my work at SocialCast. You know, we were bringing that whole social activity stream kind of concept into the enterprise. And so I'd participated in some of the activity streams, working group stuff. So Doug and I had a lot to talk about. And at one point, the team at Twitter was growing and I had the opportunity to come interview. And thankfully, I got the job there. Who says networking is dead? When we return, Josh flies high at Twitter. Welcome back. Josh was at Twitter for about three years, and I don't say that to just gloss over his time in one of the most influential social companies in the world. I mean, Josh will tell you the same thing. Like, it's really hard to tease it apart because I feel like I lived a decade in those three years. My time at Twitter was really, really packed. See what I mean? In that time, we went from 200 to 2,000 people inside of the company. The design team went from about five to 50. Well, there was research early and then we expanded that team as well. So it was like, it was just hyper growth. We were in it in a major, major way. It was just tremendous energy, tremendous optimism, and also just a tremendous amount of chaos. <laughs> there were some incredibly talented people at Twitter that I'm so thankful I got the, the opportunity to work with. There were a handful of projects that I'm really, really proud of. I joined just honestly like a week or two, maybe after uh, hashtag new Twitter, which was like the first big overhaul of the Twitter experience. And then was a part of leading the new, new Twitter redesign and then had a hand in stuff like photos. And at one point, my <laughs> my job uh, title at one point, Mike Davidson used to joke, I was the guardian of the tweet. I took that pretty seriously. It was a, you know, the most central object in the product's experience. And so um, thinking about what that's like, how you interact with it, what we can do, what we were doing in shaping behavior based on design decisions that we were making, 
arguments about what's good for humans in general uh, versus what's good for revenue. You know, there's a, a lot, as you can imagine, that was packed into that time period. And I think anybody who was there during that time period would probably reflect similarly. Arguments about what's good for humans in general versus what's good for revenue. Talk about a business tale as old as time. Josh was heading up some pretty important stuff at Twitter, but he was starting to reach his limit. Somebody I know at one point made a comment over coffee that in Silicon Valley, you're either making yourself wealthy or you're making somebody else very, very wealthy. And I thought that was an interesting dichotomy that it was kind of either or. I don't know that that's true, to be fair, but there was something about it where it was like, okay, I can either help other people achieve their dream and fulfill their vision, or I can take a step out and try to do that myself. Things had kind of gotten a little stagnant. If I'm really honest, I personally didn't feel like I was going to be able to move the needle on the things that I felt like I wanted to move inside of the company. And at the same time, I was having this other like idea that I could not shake. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I'll be totally honest, it wasn't until 2013 that I really finally had an idea that I thought was worth taking that leap. It really originated out of coffees I was having in the spring of 2013. I, I had like designers, really kind of like senior designers and senior developers that I knew reaching out to me regularly saying, hey, I like, how do I find a co-founder? I've got an idea, but I don't know how to fundraise. That ultimately was the thing that led me to take that leap of faith and just say, all right, you know what? It's it's worth taking a, a risk. And, and if I have to, I can go back and get a job. You know, it's a really fortunate, fortunate position to be in um, is knowing that I could go, you know, apply for and get a job somewhere else if if things fell through. That helped my wife feel a whole lot better about me taking that risk because <laughs> we had two little kids at home at the time. It was a bit risky. but. Um, it was worth it. Absolutely worth it. And it gave me an idea and a vision for what ultimately became Habitat. You know, I miss those kinds of opportunities and discoveries that happen at coffee meetings. I mean, I'm a tea person myself, but you get my drift. It was time for Josh to spread his wings and leave the nest, so to speak. I'll let Josh tell you about Habitat so I don't bore you with any more bird metaphors. Habitat was this idea that it was like bringing great designers and great developers together and giving them a safe space to explore. So not just do whatever you want, but kind of time boxed, hypothesis driven investment into ideas that we believed collectively were worth putting time and energy into. We were working on a few different things at once, just pushing on things, trying to understand where the problem space was and what the opportunities were. The thing that I, I had an idea for was there was no good way to preview an app icon on your phone at the time. So 2015, mobile apps, you know, getting built left, right and center. And as a designer, designing your app icon was an important part of the branding process. How do you preview that on your phone? How do you look at it in context of, you know, other apps that you've got on your phone? And yes, you could compile it in Xcode and install it on your phone. But, you know, there was a lot of overhead. And so... Kevin and I actually devised this really quick and easy iOS app that allowed you to put the app icons in a Dropbox folder. And then we basically recreated like a faux home screen for you. And it was 
little, it was kind of fun. But what it did is it sparked this conversation between Kevin and I around design tooling and this notion that there's probably a lot of these type of, you know, things that could be built out there. And Kevin being a great engineer and really coming from an open source background, I think the convergence of those ideas was a big deal. The Kevin that Josh is talking about here is Kevin Smith, one of the co-founders of Abstract, along with one of Josh's friends, Frank Camaro. While Josh was coming up with his idea with Kevin, he and Frank were also having a similar conversation. So the three of them got together and spent a week pushing on this idea, which culminated in Kevin asking this question. Why don't designers have a a version-controlled workflow? Why don't they have something like GitHub? In my time at Twitter, we had tried to solve that problem. We ended up building an internal tool at Twitter called the Design Stream, where we hacked a internal WordPress install and paired that with that repo that we had of, of the design work. And so designers could post into this and they would basically share what problem they were solving, kind of what stage they were at, and then they would post the designs. And it was the first time the whole company got a glimpse into the design process, like really like what it looks like for designers to go through that process and iterate towards the right solution. And it was a big deal, but I honestly didn't think that it was worth trying to build at the time because we still couldn't see into the binary files. We still didn't know what actually changed at the object level. And so I had kind of like written that off until Kevin asked that question again. He looked at me and he's like, so you're telling me literally the reason you didn't do this is because of binary files. And I said, yes, absolutely. A few weeks later, Kevin came back to the team with a sketch file that he reverse engineered and a desktop app proof of concept that could not only import a sketch file, but also create a branch. You could make changes to the sketch file, commit those changes, then merge those two files back together. I'll tell you what, my jaw hit the table. We all kind of looked at each other and realized, oh shit, we might be onto something. We showed it to Tim Van Dam, who is a, a friend of ours. Tim's well known in the design industry, but we thought getting feedback from a couple of people would be really great to just validate or invalidate how excited we were. And the thing for me that was amazing, Tim afterwards kind of looked at me and said, so are you hiring? And I took that as the single greatest endorsement that not only did we need to find a way to work with Tim, but that we also needed to go spin this out and we needed to give this a shot. And so that's the genesis. That's how Abstract was born. After the break, Abstract version one. We're back. Josh and his crew have stumbled onto something huge, version control for designers. And the idea has gotten the seal of approval from the Tim Van Dam. But before going full steam ahead with Abstract, Josh needed to figure out what to do with Habitat. Ultimately, we ended up spinning two companies out of Habitat Abstract, uh, which y'all know about, and another company called Awesome, which was one of the earliest Slack platform plays. It only lasted really for just a little bit over a year, like a year and change before we ended up spinning those two companies out. And when I took on the CEO role at Abstract, I knew that I was going to be shutting Habitat down. And so wound that down in the first part of 2016 as we were getting Abstract off the ground. Now there's just a matter of putting abstract out there in the world and seeing how others take to it. 
there's a, a gentleman named John Intratter who was at a company called Lending Home at the time. And he and his small team were willing to be our very first guinea pigs. And we didn't even have merging totally finished yet, but they started using abstract and they were in our Slack and we basically were talking with them constantly because anytime anything broke, we had to make sure that we could get them unstuck. But they immediately saw the benefit. They highlighted some hurdles that we needed to think about and figure out from a UX perspective. But they also showed us that there was tremendous value if we could execute on what we were going after. Abstract moved into a private alpha, which brought even more users and provided Josh and the team with valuable insights. Once we were in the private alpha and we were hearing from people week over week about, oh, hey, if it only did this or, hey, actually, this works. This is fantastic. Could you add this? Could you add that? That was probably one of those other huge moments. And it gave me a tremendous amount of confidence as we pushed forward to our actual launch in July of 2017, because we had... I don't know, maybe a hundred companies in our private alpha already using it and had, you know, it had basically become central to their workflow. That kind of product market fit, that kind of validation, that's the kind of thing that I've always looked for in any of the products that I've built. And I feel like we were really, really fortunate to find that level as early as we did. Like I went from having hacked all this stuff together, not an engineer, to actually having a working product that solved a problem that designers everywhere were struggling with. I knew that, you know, the design space was starting to get crowded. There was a lot of investment going in. There was a lot of tooling, a lot of different ideas about what the future might look like. And I think for us, if we made design teams healthier, more efficient, we gave them a way to have a more observable process, if we opened the door for executives in whatever company they were in to start understanding how design actually works and the value of design, that was always to me the signals of success. And and I do believe we've done that and continue to do that. And so, of course, along the way, there was all kinds of moments of anxiety and doubt. But by and large, hearing from folks all over the world, honestly, that they couldn't work differently or that they didn't want to go back to the way it was before or that Abstract had somehow played some role in they or their team's success was was massive. And that was tremendous motivation for us to keep going. Keep going. If this story about Josh and Abstract or any of the founders from this season have resonated with you, use that as motivation to keep building towards your version one. Keep going. There's this great Picasso quote, which I'm probably going to butcher, but it goes something along the lines of, I'm always doing that which I cannot do in order that I might learn to do it. And as I've grown and matured in my career and uh, as a person, I found that quote is the most accurate description of what I think is actually happening. It definitely is what's happening inside of me, continues to be what's happening inside of me. And it's, to me, the best antidote for that that imposter syndrome, that insecurity. As an industry, we were so nascent. I think everybody has been and still is to some degree trying to figure it out. There were definitely periods of like <laughs> legitimate fear and anxiety in my own self, which really came out of not 
understanding my own value and my own worth. And so I'm grateful to have grown in that area. The greatest thing that you can invest in is relationships. Everything, when I look back now, everything that has happened has been because I chose to invest in relationships, because I chose to be open and try to create new avenues and be willing to risk embarrassment or rejection or whatever in an effort of creating relationships. And um, it really is the fabric of everything that we do. It is worth it. Even if things don't work out in the long run, investing in relationships is one of the best things you'll ever do. Thank you so much for listening to this first season of Version 1. For more information about the show, visit us at codesandbox.io slash version1, that's all one word, or you can send us a tweet at codesandbox. This podcast is produced by Maurice Cherry with engineering and editing from Resonate Recordings. The song you're listening to now, that's I Don't Mind from Particle House, courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Special thanks to Josh Brewer from Abstract and, of course, the entire team at Code Sandbox. I'm Maurice Cherry, and this is Version 1. See you next time.